Welcome to Out of the Blank. Back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Ian, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's been about two years since you were last on, and why Whiskey History is also back on the podcast menu. So we can actually check that out as well. Ian, please introduce yourself to the audience out there listening. Good morning, friend. Uh, it's good to see you. You look fantastic, by the way. Holy smokes. Like, I mean, you, you don't age. Like, I, I love that. Like, you're just literally the same person that I walked away from, you know, two years ago or, or saw a talk to last. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, uh, my name's Ian. I am the host of the Why Whiskey podcast, where I dig into uh, silly historic stories and uh, do some whiskey education along the way as well. To stay young forever, all you have to do is smoke menthol 100s. That's the secret. Not a lot of people know that. Dude, I'm I'm leaving here immediately once we're done and going to go start like right away. So, so okay, I got to so slow this down some. You mentioned obviously the podcast why whiskey history but also what you particularly focus in like what i mean what about history i guess uh, attracts you for me it's been about the 60s and 70s and i can tell you i'm learning a lot more than what the normal history books necessarily teach you i mean you got to think it's a well you get a couple of years to study certain time periods in school i doubt they're gonna show it all in there but once you start learning more you're like oh my god we gotta like have a whole section on the vietnam war we gotta have a whole section on world war one world war two and even then you could not cover it in a lifetime no, and uh, there are very few, if any, general historians. And when I say general, I mean like the, their historians are very specific. And I, I that that is what surprised me most about when I, I jumped into the history side of things, right? I, I loved history and I loved parts of history and big sections of it. And it was one of my my professors early on was like, you you can't. That's too much. You 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 will not know what you need to know about any one specific thing. So you you need to to kind of focus down. And um, so my my focus as far as history goes, uh, time frame I don't really have one. Um, I start you know uh, my focus has really been uh, alcohol and alcohol's impact on our country and why are and I mean that's in the name why whiskey right why why alcohol has been such a factor um, throughout. U.S. history, like the two go coincide. I mean, it's and I think I said this last time, like the, it's the only thing, the substance that has changed our Constitution twice um, has, has been boost. Uh, so you've got the the 18th and the 21st Amendments, um, prohibition and then repealing prohibition. I know about a little bit about the prohibition. I mean, you might want to give me some cliff notes on it, but I mean, I remember people poisoning alcohol so people wouldn't drink it, which just makes it even weirder. The fact that you can easily go to a store today and buy any, I mean, I just bought 128 proof moonshine the other day. And I'm like, this should not be legal. You you, you shouldn't be selling this, but you, you need an uncle. You need someone that like a friend who has an uncle that makes it in his bathtub or something. That's when you should get it. But obviously not everybody has that. So they're like, Hey, why don't we legalize it and sell it to the public? And then, you know, a fresh 21 year old can go, I can drink this because I've drank like Jaeger before. And then they take a giant swig out of it. Next thing you know, they're pants down in a gutter somewhere. So it's like, what do you do? 
<laughs> yes, yeah, so there the the buildup to prohibition was was pretty crazy, you know, and it started way back in uh, the 1850s, 1840s. Um, once like the uh, the temperance movement really kicked off and and started, and uh, there that's that's really the the origins, and and not a you know people just see the the roaring twenties and and the chaos that was the twenties, and then we go right into you know boom prohibition, and then you know kind of um, that whole mess, or or they associate the twenties with it, but it, it started long before then, and uh, really got a, a foothold post Civil War. And a lot of it was crazy was it, you know, it all started in the South and, and it started in the South, you know, people think, oh, you know, the Bible belt and da, da, da. No, it was, it was racism, man. Um, people were afraid that these free slaves were going to now get drunk. And so they had to get rid of the booze. Um, they, they had to get rid of the booze publicly. They did not get rid of the booze privately. And, and that was the, the big, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the hypocrisy in the entire thing. And and there's there's little accounts throughout history of, you know, these governments that were actually saying no to alcohol. And there was a lot of governments that enacted prohibition on the state level before it became a federal thing and and shut off booze. And there's still some states today that have dry counties where you can't buy it, can't sell it. You know, you can consume it, but you can't get it there. What do you um, think and, one of the largest contributors to the prohibition was? Do you think it was like I, I've started to notice kind of the intersection between religion and politics? Obviously, politics is in everything, so there's not really escaping any of it. Like you could go down to, I don't know, the store and get a Coca-Cola and be like, I love Coca-Cola, but I can also show you a billion tweets about Coca-Cola being racist. So it's like it's intersect in society so much so that then it becomes a political thing where like there's a political ad for Pepsi a while back where it was like a riot was happening and all these SWAT members come up and they go to stop the, the rioters and the rioters pull out a Pepsi and hand it to them. And then everyone tweets Pepsi's racist. And I'm like, I don't get the connect here. Is there a couple lines that I'm missing? But you start realizing politics is entrenched in everything. But one thing that's always been next to politics has been religion. I mean, I bring this up all the time with uh, our president. Why does every president have to be uh, a family man or does he have to be a religious Christian or something like that? It's like we're a little bit evolved past those standards, but that's just always what's been there has been this tie in with like Christianity or other religious movements as well, too. I mean, you, you got to go way back to the founding of, of, you know, like people coming here, right? Um, uh, religious freedom was one of the reasons, and this is something that people hold on to desperately, but it was it really a thing. Uh, you know, we think about the, the pilgrims and we think about, you know, some other, some other religious groups that were getting um, pressure in England and prosecuted. So they, they hopped on a boat to come practice their faith over here in, in, in free areas. And, um, you know, Quakers, I, I believe were another one, you know, these, and these groups come over and all of a sudden, you know, um, they, they ran away from the system that was oppressing them, the church of England, uh, in, in some cases, and that to, to exercise and express their own religious freedoms, but then their religious freedoms ended up taking over. And you look, uh, the, the Salem witch trials are a great example of, religious control there was so little evidence like quantifiable evidence that these that witchcraft was taking place um but they were they were executing people right and one of one of the the telltale signs that you know um somebody was a witch was that they couldn't recite the lord's prayer 
specifically when it, you know, it comes to the word trespass, uh, you know, and, and forgive those who trespass against us, they would trip up there, right? And because they would trip up there, that was, you know, that was the the demon or Satan inside of them that was not allowing them to say that. So they're a witch, right? Much like Monty Python and the search for the Holy Grail, you know, like, if she can float, you know, she's made of wood, you know, mm -hmm. so they get a duct, like, you know, so, um, it, but, but that's kind of almost how it went in uh, a little less funny because real people died. I think it was a total of 16 folks were executed for witchcraft. Um, but it was, it was purely based on, and it was too, 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 it was a father, son, priest, power pastor, whatever they were, uh, reverend, excuse me, combination it was uh, cotton and um, uh, begins with an I. Oh, shit. I forget his name. It's early. Give me a break. Um, but the Mathers, right? Reverend Mather, um, him and his son really kind of drove the whole thing. And, and it was, it was religious suppression uh, and that, that really kind of did this. So they, they, they came here to, to get religious freedom. But then once they got it, they oppressed others and it, you know, religious oppression, I, I feel now is it has, has faded, but religious influence is still a big thing, which really kind of confuses me. And, and I'm really interested to like, to see where you go in this, because this, this, if you can find this connection, um, there's, there's parts of the nation that still hold on to religious ideals. And, you know, you mentioned the president, you know, being, you know, a Christian, I like, I think our current one is a, a devout Catholic. Right. Um, so, so I believe that there is that connection in there, whether they're an actual practicing or, or actual believer or not, I, none of my business, I really don't care. Um, I, their religious influence does it affect how they they conduct politics? Eh, I've, I haven't seen one yet who um, this who leads based on faith. And I was, you know, they all, they're all Christians or Catholics or this or that or the other, um, but none of them lead in the principles in which of the the religion that they follow. So so until one of them does, then it won't be a thing for me. But but I think there's there's that connection there because there's still so much of the country that that needs that connection. They need that you know, uh, they need a leader that is based in some sort of moral system so they can have this picture of of morality in leadership. I would put that to why does the president always say something like support the troops or something like that? Like there, there's these guidelines that they necessarily don't follow, whether you want to say like Afghanistan or Iraq or sending going maybe to war over something because of a certain thing and then at the expense of a bunch of troops. I mean, there's a sales pitch and it's like what gets the public to vote for you. And that is those ingrained things in our society like religion. Farmers are a big one. I swear to God, you can talk to any farmer. They don't give a shit who's president because they don't see that guy ever. Like it's it's it doesn't happen. And it's just like that's what you see, though, in like campaign ads. We support farmers or we're pro this, we're pro that. But then do the, does that, the message get lost when they get in office? Sure. I mean it's just about people. I mean when you see a deal in the store, you know, two for five, you're like, oh, my god, great deal. Well, the normal price is two fifty per piece, so you're still getting the same exact thing, but it's that yellow sticker. It's the things that catch your attention and catch your mind and 
that would be religion and society. That would be family values and society over in, at least more and a part of our culture as well, too. And then that kind of message just gets everybody lost. I mean, if you talk about alcohol, uh, alcohol, for if we bring it back to that discussion, it's been demonized, but it's also highly influenced in society. Like we know the risks that come with alcohol. We know the addiction methods that come with alcohol. And there's plenty of people that speak openly about it, yet you can still buy it next to a Taco Bell. You can still buy alcohol um, in plenty of grocery stores as well, too. I mean, they openly sell it in some Walmarts in some states. So it's like, obviously it's a state by state basis, but there's still like, I guess, an openness to, hey, you know, you can explore this if you want. I, I don't know. I mean, that's in my thoughts. It so, and, and I think we're you and I are going to get to witness uh, marijuana do the same thing. Um, it once it becomes once it comes off, you know, for marijuana, once it comes off the schedule, right, and becomes a a federally uh, allowed and regulated thing, right? Socially, it becomes socially acceptable. Um, and and for alcohol, you know, it through its its process uh, with with our country, you know, I mean, it was. Uh, the first full scale rebellion that we had against the government are and when I say we I mean America was was the whiskey rebellion they were trying to tax it they were trying to make money off of it Alexander Hamilton wrote up this this huge excise tax on on whiskey and yet at a time where they were using whiskey as currency in the West and when I say the West I'm talking about you know mid to to Western Pennsylvania and you know the Monongahela Valley and all that Pittsburgh um <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. So, so here's you know, there's right off the get go this this thing that's 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 been there, um, and it's been there so much, and you know, then we we fast forward, um, it becomes less taxed, and and all of a sudden now in the 1830s we're drinking so much, um, and uh, <laughs> to where we gotta we gotta slow down, which kind of helps build up that move to prohibition, and then prohibition again it. it the government tells us we can't watch me, you know, <laughs> you know, hold my beer. Right. And, and as Americans, we, we say, no, you can't do that. Uh, even though it was the, you know, the government side that, that enacted that, but, but now all the people you know are told they can't. So now they're gonna, and they want to. So do you think with prohibition that it's, I mean, do you think that it was just cause of racism? Or do you think there was multi kind of multifactorial here where we talk about like an aspect of like how, We've always had drinking. I mean, beer, rum, all these things were trade currencies at a point. So it's it's weird to even think that they had the ability to be able to control something like that or be able to limit it. And I think for a while they were marginally successful, but it's also kind of the double standard aspect that is throughout all of our history, where a politician can ban one thing, but on the side in his own personal free time, he's not following his own rules that he set forth for the rest of the people. You know, a lot of these government officials would let bootleggers or let people that were maybe doing things with moonshine, they would let it go if they got a side cut of it as well, too. So, I mean, have you ever seen the movie Lawless with Shia LaBeouf where they're bootleggers or moonshiners? I, I have not seen that yet. You would love that movie, dude, because that's the thing. It's like, hey, your whole county's about to stop doing moonshine. Everybody's going to get on board, but the people that are still creating moonshine – just have to cut a deal with the main mayor guy in charge, or they're going to shut down all your stations and we're going to, you know, arrest you and then find you and do all this other stuff. And some of the people didn't go with that, but it is a sense of like, I mean, if, if you're making your own alcohol, the government's going to get a piece out of it. It's like the same reason why it's so damn important to pay your taxes. And you could talk to the guy who was um uh, the actor in Blade, because obviously he uh, knows very well what happens when you do not pay your taxes. 
Um, but that's that's a real thing. The government gets a piece. And I would say, I mean, even with religion, let's take it to religion and alcohol. Jesus's blood is wine or it's blood, right? So it's like, how do you ban that? It's like the, you, communion drinks, all those things. It's like, what does that mean? Does prohibition mean all alcohol? Does, does that mean do religious people get an exemption for it if they use it for, I wouldn't say a ritual, but some type of events or something like that where they're trying to you know, drink the blood of Christ because that's part of their thing? And then when does alcohol become tolerated only in some circumstances? And then, yeah, obviously, like I had to change my whole thinking on even organized crime like the mafia and all that. Once I started learning about like the FBI's invasion into Hollywood and kind of the way that they – I don't know if you know much about this, but the FBI, there's a censorship office, and they ended up influencing studios so much where there was actually a production code where J. Edgar Hoover said if the FBI goes on screen, the enemies can shoot as much as they want, but they have to miss. And the FBI have to basically be portrayed as badasses when they come on the screen. And that's kind of been throughout. And that's that. I mean, that's still kind of happening today. I talked to a guy who made a documentary called Theaters of War. It showed you how the DOD and all these other places influence movie scripts today at the ending of Jurassic Park 3. Thank God for the Marines. That was added in. And it doesn't sound like much, but it's a small form of propaganda. And you kind of start realizing these mechanisms that make you think the way that you think. Like, why do I think this? Oh, it's because back in history, they started that and they just never stopped it was a way of i mean you never want to question your government as how they want you to do but there's i think there's reasonable things it doesn't mean your government's not needed i just think like you take it back to prohibition how did they influence uh bootleggers they make bootleggers seem like rejections from society people that are breaking the law and people that are criminals well if you start learning about what it is it's just people like what the fuck i've been drinking alcohol for so long and then you're gonna ban it but you're still gonna do it on the side and then it's like, okay, now you start to kind of – the demonization starts to go away, but that's always in our society. We take it back to religion again. It has to be a Christ on a cross and it has to be a demon to burn. So it makes sense when you start kind of tackling – that's how I like to tackle historical events. The, the two – you know the two channels you have the the politics and religion going in there, it's a, it, both are, are fascinating, and uh, there's – You can correct me if I'm wrong too. No, 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 no. I, I, I think you're spot on. I haven't dug into the religious side of things. Um, the temperance movements had a lot of religious overtones, but there wasn't. It wasn't. Um, I'm not gonna say it wasn't like a. Uh, it wasn't really uh, pastors, right, or 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 church leaders that were driving it forward, right? It was, yeah, honestly, that it, it was mostly women. Who were who were pushing uh, temperance forward? They were sick of getting beat by their their drunk husbands all the time, and and you know um, afraid that uh, you know these recently freed slaves were going to get drunk and just rape everybody. You know, like that was this this big fear that was going on, um, and no doubt a lot of those fears and the morality side of it, right, um, was getting driven from the pulpit from the church. So there was there was that combination in there. Uh, you know, I want to touch on the the. Uh, uh, yes for thee, but not for me kind of thing. Right. Um, and, and leading up to prohibition, you can see there were government officials and leaders that knew it was coming. So these guys stocked unbelievable amounts of booze, unbelievable. And to include the president, I believe, I believe it was Woodrow Wilson had, uh, uh I mean, it makes my, my wall look weak. Right. And, and for one person, right. This behind me here, is enough to last me if I were to drink one bottle at a time and I forget what the like I, I have enough for like 19 years of drinking without having to buy anything behind me, right? So so the amount the amount that they they stocked and they that they they 
just all grabbed up before it it, it actually took place uh, was amazing um, so that they could have it. And then, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying the government officials were selling it. I, I, I can't prove that yet. I think uh, I think there might be a book about that somewhere, um, but that I haven't got to yet. But but you see a lot of that that kind of stuff happening. Um, and and all it did really was was really kind of drive lawlessness up. And it was Rockefeller who who came in and was said, OK, cool, we need to we need to value law, you know, more than we value uh, morality. Right. Um, and he was a teetotaler. And and it really was John D. Rockefeller who was responsible for ending prohibition. And the guy had never had a drop to drink, allegedly. So. It's interesting how that goes. And, and then he brings up the taxation. Well, cool. We're going to let everybody do it. We're, we're going to write out this big plan that's going to allow everybody to, to produce and da-da-da-da-da. But here's the taxation part of it. We're going to make money off of it as, as a way to kind of like discourage people from doing it so much. And, and alcohol today still remains one of the highest taxed commodities in America do you as think far as percentage. Do you think it was the control aspect that they had to find a way to control it before it became fully 100% like how it is today? Or do you think it was because they just realized that they couldn't, I guess, control, um, you know, banning it forever? Like I, there's there's a large – like even I've talked to people who are very adverse to marijuana, um, and I, I'm in that boat. Like I'm not going to stop someone from smoking a joint. If you want to smoke a joint, you go ahead. Just I don't – I'm not going to, and I don't want to be forced to. You know what I mean? Like that type of deal. Um, like there's smoking sections in bars, you know, as long as someone doesn't get a contact high and you're not affecting anybody else, you do whatever the hell you want with your body. I could not give a, a damn. But when you look at like marijuana, I mean, the, a massive amount of legalization of it now is because they found a way to control it. And there has been these old models and methods out there from obviously certain people that don't want a doped up society. That's another argument for why it was banned for so long. I mean, I'm interested when they talk about they didn't want slaves raping people and doing all this type of stuff. Was there a large amount of that propaganda that was spewed out there? Because like if you look at the communist movement and like all these people that were getting called commie defectors, especially in Hollywood, I mean he created the Hollywood 10. You, If you – someone even sniffed or a, a person blacklisted you and called you a communist, the FBI was coming to your door. I mean there's profiles on Frank Sinatra. There's profiles on Marilyn Monroe. There's profiles on so many people, even – Profiles on the FBI website between Walt Disney and Hoover, where it starts off really nice, like we're going to have Mickey Mouse cartoons um, with the FBI agents so the kids can be introduced to the FBI. That's very small-scale propaganda, and I'm okay with that. That's fine. I'd love to see Mickey Mouse and an FBI agent working together to bust a cold criminal case. Are you kidding? <laughs> like Steamboat Willies? Like you got to you gotta lock them up? I, I, I don't know. But then there's the darker side where if you read towards the ending, and I have read the 800-something pages on it, there's letters back and forth where Walt Disney saying, I have a bunch of communist people that are causing a problem at my facility. And I need your FBI to come in here and deport these people. Now, if you look into what those people were doing, they were striking up labor unions. They just wanted more equal pay. They wanted better rights. And Walt Disney saw, I could just label them a communist and the FBI will take care of it and get them off my back. 
So it's like, I mean, that's a smart strategy for business, but you're a fucking asshole. I hate to say it like that, but that's kind of like the labeling with communism. I mean, everyone felt like communists were going to come over here and rape your women and kill your kids and do all this other type of stuff. And everyone was really, really scared. It's partially what led up with like the Cold War, where there was this impending destruction of nuclear weapons going to land at any moment. Hide under your desk if a nuclear bomb hits. Like that's going to protect you. So I'm curious if that's what it was with alcohol and slaves. Did somebody newspaper article something of a cartoon ad or do something like that that made some type of demonization into this and i get it because obviously back before civil rights we didn't people didn't have this good outlook towards you know certain people of ethnicities but i feel like even with slaves i mean a lot of people around these people 24 7 i'm wondering where the extra conditioning came in where there was like another pad if there was another padded movement towards you know if you don't connect with these people, you'll never know what they really are like. So it's better to just listen to the ads that we tell you and demonize the hell out of them. So I, I think when it comes to the South and slavery, you, you got to look at, at, you know, it it started um, in the, the, the 1840s, 1850s. But once the Civil War kicks off and now we have we the, the slaves are freed. Right. Um, we I say we the union came in and literally undercut the entire south's financial ability right their money was based off of slavery right they came in and they took out that foundation so the the, the south had, was incredibly wealthy but they were incredibly wealthy because they had free labor right um I, I mean it wasn't free they had to buy them but but they didn't have to pay them wages and so now so there's a lot of resentment now because of the wealth and then you know also sherman just went through and just literally burned everything from alabama to fucking you know atlanta and, and destroyed everything right so so there's a lot of resentment for the union and now all of these these folks who were who were providing the south their wealth are now able to get out on their own and again the government is forcing them during uh, during, um, what was it? Um, uh, see, this is why I do evening shows. I don't do morning shows. My brain is, is waking up here. Um, uh, reconstruction. There we go. <laughs> so during reconstruction where, you know, and, and Andy Johnson is a racist piece of shit. He, uh, he's the one that took over for, for Lincoln when he died. Um, and he messes it all up. Terrible. He, he, he messes up reconstruction and, and makes it a, a lose, lose literally for everybody. So, so there's resentment, there's anger towards the, the free slaves. And, and so now, you know, as a, as a method to get back to them um, or, or back at them. And it's super easy because everybody's already pissed off, right? Because it's about the slaves, right? Well, now here's this, this group of people that are living amongst them that are now their, their, their equals, right? Allegedly, according to the law, they get to vote, they get to hold office, they get to do all these things that were now that were property the year before, right? So they're, they're trying to, 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 to reconcile all of that. And there's still a lot of anger and a lot of hatred um, towards them because the, the, the view of them didn't change. The laws around them did. And, and I think that's the, that's the, the big part of it. Um, but anyway, so tying it back to, to to booze, but they during Reconstruction is when it really kind of gains traction. Um, these vagrant, jobless, you know, uh, animals, as they were referred to quite often, which was was gross, um, you know, uh, were dangerous, right? And and they were they were lazy, and they were talking about the slave population, the the recently freed slave population, um, and so they're driving this this narrative of you know, 
we have to keep things, you know, we have to keep our, our women and children safe because if, if we, you know, don't this, these people who now have this freedom to go do about whatever are just going to go around and destroy everything. Right. Um, and so, so it really kind of took hold there. The, the temperance movement in the South, it was based off of, of race and, and keeping, keeping booze, uh, away from the, the freed slaves. And, and by painting a picture of, of evil, you know, so kind of like the FBI is painting a picture of good. And with Disney, you know, it's kind of the opposite. You know, if, if we don't get booze out of their hands, they're going to, to, to rape and murder everybody. When did the pressure, I guess, against government officials, when they realized they had to kind of let up um, with the prohibition, like when did that, when did that prohibition end? Um, and what were some of like the biggest events that kind of led to the legalization, I would say, or just openly selling of what we have now, like with alcohol? Uh, so I believe it was 1930, 1933, um, was when it ended, uh, December, so after December the 5th, uh, so 1933, I mean, we're, they were still in the throes of the depression, right? What, what kind of ripped us out of the depression was the, the march to world war two. I know, but I'm just thinking because at those moments towards the ending of depression was the idea whether we should adopt a socialist idea or a socialist kind of strategy because capitalism seemed like it just failed. Um, and then we ended up sticking with capitalism a little bit. So I have to think like at that point, I mean, how many things are now being brought to the forefront? You know what I mean? Like how many things are now being like, maybe we should relook at this and relook at this, like changing our whole structural idea of how America has gone for so long. And like, I mean, that's just where my mind goes, because obviously I, I, the depression era is something I think we talked about like two years ago when you were on was um that's something that hits close to home because I'm not saying I grew up in that time, but my great grandfather, I spent a lot of time with him and he grew up in that era. So we had to like, when he died, we were busting holes in the walls and the floorboards looking for money that he was hiding away and all this other types of stuff. But that's a real like thing that people were doing because they didn't trust the banks. They didn't trust so much. And then, I mean, you look at like what changes in society and this kind of gets into more of a philosophy side of things which there's just so many things morality um values uh communication whether it's propaganda whether it's this there's just so many things that can influence one event that's why many people write various narratives on a certain particular event because there's many different degrees i mean i learned more from the depression not the historical side but from the economic side like there's two sides of that historians teach. There's the ones that talk about real legit events, and then there's the economic side of things where they kind of teach you a whole different aspect. But I'm like, it's the same thing. You guys are talking about the same thing, but everyone's focused in a particular area that illuminates more of the situation. You're just like, damn. So I'm guessing it's the depression. Like, I mean, if that's kind of in the throes of it, I mean, you're already questioning your whole entire structural model of the way that America has gone. Um, so how many things are being brought to the forefront? And then obviously alcohol is one of those. So one of the connections I'm trying to make uh, is that alcohol not only changed our constitution twice, but it also brought us out of the Great Depression. And uh, on I, and that's on the economic side. And the, the funny thing, uh, when you talk to 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 alcohol or whiskey or, or whoever, you know, distilled spirits people around the way, Americans and Irish. Uh, we spell our whiskey with an E, W-H-I-S-K-E-Y. Everywhere else in the world spells it without the E, just Ireland in here, right? So is it something that, you know, immigrants from Ireland brought over with them? Mm, maybe. Um, but the folks who were making, like the immigrants that, that were making booze uh, out in the West uh, during the, the early, you know, uh, 19th century, 
they weren't thinking about how to spell it. <laughs> they were just thinking about how to how to sell it and use it. Um, so uh, the E stands for economics. It, now that's not actual. Like the you know the, nobody put the E in there saying oh economics. But but for America, it it's about the money, and and the taxation. And one of the other things you know it was lawlessness, right? Um, which led Rockefeller to to put together his panel and and to do the research and to to write up a plan, right? But the taxation on the booze, right? Because they knew if they kicked, if they started up all these distilleries again, if they allowed them to go full bore into production and they could tax every ounce that was in and made by those things, that's a lot of money. And they know that people would pay it. People want the booze. People are going to pay and that tax it. There's so right away we're generating, we're generating income for the government. So, so I think that there's, the, the economic side of that, right? And that's that's the thing I have I have yet to get into is to see what the taxation on alcohol uh, did to impact us walking out of or coming away from uh, the Great Depression. Because now all of a sudden we kick it off. Hey, go ahead. Gloves are off. Make it. Sell it. It's legal, but we're going to tax it. We're going to tax it really, really like 75% of a bottle is taxed. When you look at like break it down by by volume, right? Seventy five percent of the liquid that is in that bottle um, is taxed, and the twenty five percent at the top is is the money that they're making. Uh, so so it's 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 a, a a revenue generator. Based on though, because Rockefeller's thing was about lawlessness and about people just being out of control and and needing to abide by the law. The law is important structure control being able to to control the people because the people were going nuts they were they were finding booze they were selling booze they were making booze and the making part of it was the dangerous part because you you talk about like bathtub gins right um people were throwing together chemicals that not should shouldn't even be breathed around nonetheless consumed and it was killing people uh because people had to have booze they had to have you know something and then the moonshiners were making were making stuff but uh it was the people making stuff at home with with crazy stuff you, blindness was a huge thing um people were drinking uh, that's how you think, know it's good that's how you yeah know it's good. yeah but they were going blind and then like their skin was turning a different color and there was like just because they were just throwing shit together uh and then and then you get the the rise of of the mob and and all of that aspect of it uh which again is just kind of contributing to this whole crazy thing and and so, so under, under the guise of, and I say, guys, I can't, I can't assert that just yet. Um, it appears potentially that the guise of, of obeying the law and regaining control of the American people in the realm of alcohol consumption, sales and distribution. Um, like that was, that was his, the basis on everything. This, this is what he, he wanted to like follow, but there was a massive advantage to the government to repeal prohibition. And, and because even prior to that, and that's, and again, when does the great depression start? Starts in the mid to late twenties, right? When did, when did alcohol go into prohibition? 1918. So now we lose five years after we lose that tax revenue from alcohol, we're hurting. So, and that's, and again, that, that, that's an assertion. That's not, I, I, I don't have my, my thesis is not completed yet. So, <laughs> um, but that's, that's the road I'm walking down. 
um, again, not only is it, it, it impacted our economy, and there were other a lot of financial bad decisions uh, that that were made by the government. Um, but when you lose a massive chunk of revenue, uh, things get a little bit more complicated. Do you think that some of those people thought they were more stable without the alcohol revenue and they didn't realize how much it actually impacted their whole financials in the first place? I think they were on the morality train, honestly, and and much like marijuana, uh, you know, marijuana was put on schedule one, not for politics, not for not for danger to people. Right. It was about control. They wanted to be able to control and they they saw it as this, you know, uh, this liberating substance. People get high and then all of a sudden their minds are clear and they they can you know, they're going to lead a march on the government and you know overturn the government. That's why weed is is rated higher on the schedule than things like fentanyl. You know what I mean? Like shit um, it, that it blows your mind. So so to think they in in realm of of morality and, and a, a political jockeying. It, it got pushed through without necessarily realizing the financial impact that it was going to have by, by shutting it off altogether. What would you say some of like, if you can give me like a top five of some of the kind of influences that you think that come to your mind when it comes to just prohibition in general, like, I mean, obviously the, the whole banning it and then obviously taking it back, uh, the ban off. You know, you could say religion, because so, even what you just said about seeing the financial side of things or seeing like 1918 and then you look at the Depression. I mean, if you're a religious man or a religious person and you're examining that, you're like, it's obviously a sign from God that the people need the alcohol. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's like it goes into that. But I mean, there's a there's, a, like I said, multifactorial things. I'm just curious to what you would rate them if you could rate them at a scale, if you could economic side of things being number one, I'm guessing. I mean, that's I would agree to that. Um, I also bring up the example, and this will be the more conspiratorial side of me, not so much conspiracy like reptilians. Obviously, that's really out there, but just from a control aspect. I mean, we mentioned the doped up society thing. I'm kind of wondering when that changed because people actually realize that, hey, if the people are complacent, you know, if they're not fighting us, they're not out of control, sticking from the Rockefeller example, does this, should we legalize it? And once we have a way to tax it, we can just bring it out there more and have everybody be drunks. I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not throwing shade at ireland here but they don't really have a high crime rate because of a lot of aspects when it comes to not just some of their laws but drinking widely available very open to the public you'll come across a drunk laying on the street and it's a normal thing over here that person you have to call the cops you have to arrest them they're crazy they're a homeless person or they could just be someone that's passed out in the street but that's kind of like our western model as well too which through my talks, a lot of this can be boiled down to how the government looks. Um, there's a lot of things that start happening, uh, whether it's things like the agency secrecy. Um, you know, I could tell you some things about the Kennedy assassination, like Jack Ruby didn't know any Dallas police officers, even though we know way more now that he definitely did. He was actually an FBI informant, one of the people working with the CIA to run guns through Cuba, which is nuts. But that came out way later, obviously. But the way that like the history book and commission kind of wrote it, Dallas, Jack Ruby doesn't know any Dallas police. Now, you could say that's a grand conspiracy. You could take the more plausible example. Why would you want a strip club owner 
widely publicly known to everybody in every newspaper that he knows the police officers. That's going to expose corruption, whether they are corruption or not. And it's protecting the agency's credibility. I mean, even there's a after Watergate when William Colby exposed what the CIA was up to. Um, there's a headlines you can look it up of William Colby exposes the CIA and there's statements from new directors that talk about we will never recover from this. Their reputation in the eyes of the American people has been trashed. And I just don't think they realize like history is like pff, people don't give a shit what happened last week. Um, but but that's a that's a real thing is like the agency's credibility. How do we remain in the eyes of the public? Because we need the trust of the people. And I think you can get a lot of that through transparency and being open about your shit. But there's obviously a lot of shit that can't be forgiven. You know, so I get it. So I'm just wondering, would you add or not transparency? Would you add credibility or the government's uh, in the eyes of the public? I mean, if you're taking away something that's now sparking up riots and it's getting people out of control and having them break a lot of laws because they're just upset that you took something that had been legal for so long away from them. And then you kind of look at it from like a doped up society aspect. I mean, if they're drunk and they're happy, we don't have to fucking worry about people starting up problems and, you know, challenging us on things that, you know, we see because everything that gets passed or gets through is because of someone else's values or what someone else seems right in the eyes of their morality. But I mean, I, like I said, changing my mind on the bootleggers, you know, they're demonized in like every single movie. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I watch Godfather, I don't see a bunch of like horrible people. I see another force that's trying to get the power that the government has. I mean, you can look at that with the rise of the mafia in general. I mean, that was a big fear for the government was we're losing control. Al Capone's feeding fucking soup to people and the people think of him as a hero, much like El Chapo. I mean, he what, what did he do? He built soccer stadiums and stuff like that. Everyone's like, oh, my God. No, he's not, he's not a good guy. He just realized that he can capture the public's affection, much like the government kind of captures our affection in some sense of the word. And and it's harder to, you know, and and the the regulators, man, there's so much here that you you just open up a whole can of worms, which is uh which which I love. Um and conversations with you always go this way, which is <laughs> dude, I've missed you. I'm so glad to be sitting here. You, man. I noticed the hoodie, dude. I, I didn't see it in the beginning, but I see it now. Yeah. Um so uh, so a, a lot of factors. Um public influence, yes. Uh if somebody becomes uh, a Robin Hood-esque uh character. Right. They they're dangerous. They're a challenge to the government. And and that that's scary. That that scares the government. Right. So so it's it, public favor is a thing. And although, you know, the mobs are notoriously violent and uh, very uh, doing business in, in illegal manners, you know, but, but if they have the heart of the people, the people are going to protect them and nobody's going to tell anything. And so the, 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 uh, they had a name. I forget what their name is, but the cops, the enforcement cops, the prohibition enforcement cops, they had their own name. And there, were, there was this task force of people. They were hated. Right. And then when they would go into an area, you know, if that area was run, Chicago was one. And then uh, Brooklyn, New York was another. Nobody would say a word. You know, they're not they they can't get any information. These people are protected. These people, you know, and and so it's it, you know, they become these these heroes, these these. And they're not again, they're not good guys. Right. They're not they're not people that you want to emulate and, and model your life after. They're not. They're 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 bad dudes. Um, but they're taking care of people it, probably through manipulation for the most part, but but the government that there's a challenge to the government there. And and so for sure that that's an absolute thing. Now we 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 bring this all back to to why the the prohibition happened, you know. So you had a ton of 
uh, uh, alcohol consumption happening in the 1830s. Like we were literally every per capita, right? Every human in the US per capita was drinking six gallons of booze a year. Fuck yeah. Right? Um, and public- Oh, a year? That's, 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 they got, those are rookie numbers. Pump those numbers up. Exactly. We, we got to bump those numbers, right? Uh, and my, my best Matthew McConaughey. But, uh, but per capita, meaning men, women, children. Oh, shit. So, so when you actually kind of take out, you take out the children, right? And you take out most of the women, I would say 60% of the women, right? Because there were women that were drinking and getting drunk just as much as their husbands. Um, you pull those numbers out and you look at the actual number of people, that number goes from six to probably twice or three times that. Uh, dignitaries, foreign people would come in and do a tour of the United States, right? Because we're this new country that that cut themselves loose of their their you know colonizing you know founders and and now we're our own thing so all these these dignitaries would come in and they've noted in all of their journals and all of the correspondence back to their countries the prevalence of drunkenness and how alcohol is a thing and and you can tie some of that to there really wasn't anything else to drink that was clean there was no pure water milk went bad after a day uh you know juice wasn't really a thing so so what were they drinking to hydrate themselves <laughs> booze eh, that doesn't really work but scientifically they didn't really know that so and the byproduct of drunkenness you know there's this huge uh, movement against domestic abuse and domestic violence and then you have the whole south doing the the race thing so and where this starts to gain a little bit more ground is you see the whiskey ring scandal with ulysses s grant as president you know in the was the 1870s right um so now the government officials are in bed with alcohol taxmen and they're 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 taking this they're they're gleaming off the top and these guys are taking home some of this tax revenue uh and it goes it goes all the way to the president it doesn't get to grant uh he is not convicted or found guilty or or re or or responsible but his dude is so to think that his dude kept all of that completely under the under wraps right so now so now the government is corrupt because of alcohol because of the money it's making and now we're 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 creeping towards uh we're creeping towards prohibition and so now there's there the government interaction and the government uh connection with booze gets solidified and so now so now these these people who are pushing for prohibition for domestic violence and all these other reasons now they have well the government is is in bed with the whiskey makers because they're making the money lobbyists right it was a thing uh and so so to break that tie you know they've got to shut it down so there's one aspect right so they can present the, the government can present uh the fact that they are independent of and not influenced by this group of people who you know and this group of people being distillers and and booze makers you know they're not influenced by them and their money uh so they can support this other group of people um and and give the picture of of morality we've got to paint, paint this pretty picture that we are this this moral nation that's what puts us above everybody else you know uh and we're we're just coming out of world war one as well where we we hopped in and we freaking we shut down the germans and we saved the day and we you know we we fought real hard uh to bring peace to the world you know and that's where we see the change from we go from being a a creditor or a, a how do we put it a debtor to a creditor it was really after world war one so now we're this world power and so maybe maybe there's a little bit of influence there we got hey we got to clean up man we're we're on the world stage now we got to get these drunk people out of here let's let's make this a thing 
Um, I'm, I'm waiting for you say to say the but the but part. There's always a but. There's always something that goes bad. I mean, I had a I had this kind of realization because um, obviously if you look into like the Nuremberg trials, Nuremberg trials where we forgave Nazi scientists for the experiments that they done because we took their research. And I just picture like Warner von Braun, a guy who basically created like the whole like space program and the reason why we went to the moon and all this. And he's just sitting in a fucking Waffle House smoking a cigarette. And in his mind, he's going, I'm ordering a stack. Or I am ordering the sack of flapjacks. And nobody knows that he used to hang the five slowest Jews outside his rocket facility. And he done horrible crimes on humanity but one thing i didn't know about the nuremberg trials was now we 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 redeemed ourselves or we we made ourselves the the public image the 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 model country after what all the wars and bringing you know whatever you want to say democracy whatever you say world war one world war two sure but when you look at like what was the butt part in that well the butt part was we forgave Nazi scientists so we could have their research. We cannot forgive them for those crimes, but not only are we going to use them as well too, we're going to do, and there's like a bunch of stuff that ends up starting to be the add on parts of why there's bitter resentment in our country for so many things about our government, for tearing up the establishment because people feel like they're being lied to. Best example I can give you is China's social credit system. Now you probably have heard of it. You probably know a bit about it. Do you know how it started though? No. It started because there's way too many people in China. It was a way to keep people accountable because the cops go home. This is what a lot of people don't know about. The cops go home after a certain time period. There's no cops. So this is how you keep people accountable. What did it become? A way of control because the government found a way to not only leverage it and people also started to use it to their advantage. I can take the same example and attach it to the witch trials. People were calling other people witches because they were neighbors that they just didn't like. I've had a I've had a historian about this on my show talk about this a while back, and you start realizing people doing the China social credit system. Do you just hate your neighbor or want their apartment? It now becomes something that you can do. For instance, an example is at comedy shows. You can crack as much as jokes as you want, but don't say shit about the Chinese government. They shut down a bar all because they called the 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 police or whoever saying this bar across the street from me. The only reason was because they were getting way more business is spewing out anti uh, CCP communist propaganda. That little tip off, the cops go to the guy and say, you have to shut down your club for six months. I know you weren't doing it, but you have to shut down your club for six months just to be on the safe side before the government takes you away. It, it led bad. It went bad. Everything that ends up getting established or getting something that seems like, oh, that's a little it's kind of like the line that we all walk. That guideline ends up being moved a little bit, and that's throughout history. I mean, Walt Disney, like I mentioned before, that sliding scale of just having Mickey Mouse in cartoons compared to what it ended up to being, um, the whole threat of communism. I mean, we were still having people go to other countries as well, too, and explore over there. But intelligence warfare, there's so much stuff that starts off really, really simple, and then that sliding scale gets moved. And that's why history is important to be able to understand when did that sliding scale get moved? Like when was the but? And there's always a but in every single thing. If you talk about government realizing that in the eyes of the public, we, we care more about domestic abuses. We care more about this. Okay, but where's the but? Well, the but is a month, two months, three months, however long in, they have finally found out, okay, we're not going to accept money through our name, but we're going to have corporations that we own that accept the money and it has no connection to us, but we still get the profit. That happens. There's so much of that. Like if you read the church committee report, 
They talked about the CIA's funding of nonprofit organizations. They were still gathering a hell of a lot of money, but through names that weren't attached to them. They were doing that, and it was a way to be like, we're not accepting any money. You're right. Legally, you're right, but you're an asshole because you're just mixing up your words. And that's like a real thing. Like the agency, uh, the church committee reports, like, do you mind if we publish how much you guys money you guys make? And the CIA was like, we don't feel like that's an important thing you need to include in there. Okay, well, we're not going to include that in there. And they just crossed it off. And I was like, okay, so was this a committee that was looking through the abuses of the intelligence agencies like the history books tell you? Or was this just a whitewash saying, we're going to let you tell us what we can say and what we can talk about? And they did cover some really good stuff, like heart attack guns, a good one. Um, Academic influence is a good one. Mail intercepts is a good one. Wiretapping is a good one. But there's so much more that was also going on that we learned later through history. But does anybody pay a price? So there's always that butt ass at, at butt at butt aspect in history. I almost said a horrible curse word. <laughs> but, you, you you brought it around though. I'm proud of you. Good job. <laughs> but yeah, it's like I said. I'm obviously I, I'm sorry about ranting, but it, that's an important thing. Like I started to kind of notice through history is that there's it's not just America or a certain president that the you know the controlling aspect starts to seek through. It's just putting people in positions of power. I mean, I'm not a fan of Hoover. I don't I've never met the man, so I couldn't give you an honest personal perspective on it. But I can tell you that one person in that position of power, I don't know what I would do. I wouldn't know what I would do at the seat of the presidency. And I'm pretty sure nobody wants to find out. Um, there's a lot of that throughout history. You cannot have all this power devoted to one person. But that's like I said, the Jesus on the cross and the demons of burn method that we've always used throughout history. There's no way you can have control and power like that's one of the greatest things about America is our freedom of speech. And even that at times there's dangers of losing freedom of speech. There is a, a bunch of things with censorship and so much that starts to go on. But those, I mean, best examples through history, history the FBI censorship policy and Hollywood, certain things that can be displayed to the public and certain things that are not tolerated. Every studio had to fall in line with that, and that sliding scale ended up getting moved. Eventually, you could show sex on screen. Eventually, you can show drinking on screen. Eventually, you can show a bunch of things on screen where now we have cops and films that have a crooked side to them because the society knows you cannot ignore this problem. But for the longest time, Batman, for instance, who's the person he's attached to? Commissioner Gordon. He has to be attached to a sense of authority. You need a police figure that is able to control Superman, needs to be able to control Batman. That was that's a golden rule in comics back then. And you like like I said, all my other discussions have been kind of in these areas. So I've kind of picked and plotted, you know, been able to soak up this. But that's real though. And there's like prime examples once you kind of start noticing it, even though maybe to the common viewer, it just seems like Batman's talking to the police chief. It was like, well, it actually went a little bit deeper than that. It was, you know, trying to have a sense of control over that. And that's control and power. And it's the most one of the most corrupting things um in the world, I would say. It's like Pandora's box. You you brought up Batman and Commissioner Gordon, uh, but that that triggered a, a thought in my mind. I, and it, and for what you're talking about, still happens today. Did you see the movie The Accountant with uh, ben, Affleck? ben Affleck? Yeah, yeah. He's like his handler is is the guy who's in charge of investigating stuff, and now his handler's retiring, so he's got to create a new hand. Like I'm totally spoiling the whole thing. So if you haven't seen it yet, it's been out for years. You're that's your fault. Um, but uh, but but still the same, right? There's 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 a, a cop in there that's connected, right? That that has to be there to 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 be, you know, the the vigilante justice, as it were, or whatever, how that however that works. Um, but but that that was kind of funny that you know, you went to Batman, but the accountant was the first thing that like popped in my head. I'm like, oh shit, because yeah, because there's th that same scenario 
put with a different, you know, a different person. So let's take it to the mob. If the mob is becoming more of a known figure and helping out the public, I mean, to the public, they go, well, these guys actually care about us. Unlike our government that doesn't care about us, you know, because they're not coming down here. It's a black Adam, for instance, if you notice that the government, the justice society, whatever came over to the country to get rid of black Adam and they go, where were you when these governments were taking over and ravaging our whole entire country? You don't care. until there's a, a problem that you see is, is our hero. I mean, the mafia, for instance, they're not doing kind acts out of their heart, but they realize that they can really capture this bad moment um, and this kind of abuse that the public feels like they're hurt from the government. And right on top of that, but that's the government does the same shit as well, too. I mean, that's why there's conspiracy theories about 9-11 and stuff where they big brother watching over you. It's like 100 percent. They definitely kept moving the line a little bit forward because they realized they could. You know, I had to dive into the whole realm of Islam to be able to understand that we have demonized that in a very horrible way. Um, and we kind of need to – but that's a lot of things, feminist movements, slavery, all these things. We have demonized a lot of stuff because the government either – I'm not saying it's some grand orchestrated conspiracy. I'm just saying there's a whole set lifestyle of I like the things that I like and everything is going good right now. And any slight bit of change could be in effect either to my wallet or to my lifestyle or to way that I am living my life right now. That's a little bit different from lifestyle commodities, but you know, there is that fear. And I think, you know, it's overly exaggerated in our own heads, but you can't have people that do that, you know, spend all the time up in their own head and realize, oh shit, I got a bunch of power to make sure I can stop this from happening. And then you become like fucking the movie Looper where you're trying to go back and kill yourself or something like that. You know, it's like nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, with, with slavery in America, you know, we didn't create the institution, right? You, it's been around since the dawn of time, right? You can go back to early, early, early civilization. And as a country, we're super young, right? We got uh, enlightened as it were, um, that, that it was bad and it needed to stop. Right. Uh, long before the civil war and, and all of the, you know, the, the secession of the South and all that stuff happened uh, shit in the treaty of 1812, the war of 1812 abolishment of slavery is, is written in the treaty. Like that was one of the conditions of the treaty of the war of 1812, was that like and, and how that got in there? Who the fuck knows? Like, you know, <laughs> how was that a topic? All right, well, we're not. Well, we'll stop fighting with you. <clears throat> we'll stop fighting with you uh, if you free your slaves. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, uh, you know, sign the sign the treaty. Let's go. But um, uh, but endings. You know that that the the whole slavery thing here, right? Uh, was a, an awful, terrible thing. Um, but again, the. The government became the bad guy because they were trying to stop something that was making people money. And I, I you know, you follow the dollar, right? And then the, the line from uh, the musical Hamilton, right? Let's let's follow the money and see where it goes, right? And and really, that's what it was. Uh, and so, so it's interesting when <laughs> I just kind of lost where I was going with this. I had a great connection point, but I just fucking blew it. <laughs> Damn it, Ian! But um, it's out of the blank pot. Yeah. <laughs> I started thinking about other stuff like at the same time, and, and that's always a bad thing for me. Um, you know, but when we look at, at at the end of slavery, right, and why you know the South is is pulling away because you know they're trying the government's trying to control them. It's about states' rights. It's about no, 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 no. This is about slavery. It, it was. It, it, you can say it was states' rights. You can say it was all these other things, but but it was legitimately the succession was. Um, the government was going in and saying the system in which you are making your money needs to stop because it's inhumane and it's awful. Right. It, that's what was happening. 
And that is why the South was like, fuck you, I'm out. You're not going to take my money. Um, and, and there's a lot of arguments both ways that, you know, there, a lot of uh, Ty Sedgwell has a great book about Robert E. Lee and, and the cause of the, the, the war and some other stuff uh, all generates around. It's all it's all slavery. It's all slavery based. Um, but when it comes to that in the United States, you know, we look at it. It, it was an awful, terrible thing, um, but we weren't the only ones doing it. And we didn't start it. And that's that's what I think kind of gets lost in the messaging sometimes uh, when we when we start looking it through the lens of morality, right? We have to be this, this moral thing uh, to the rest of the world. Our, our country has to be based on, and now you're, you're starting to see it kind of trend towards, you know, tolerance and acceptance of everybody and all the peoples and all the things. And, you know, we have to be uh, uh, tolerant and, and, and welcoming of everybody, but all that does is make us angry at each other. And, and because, you know, we're, again, just like reconstruction, we're being forced to accept everybody now should we accept everybody yes i i you know and, and you mentioned it too like uh, in regards to marijuana you know um i'm not gonna do it but i'm not gonna judge people that do well there's a large you know and that's there's, there's oh. a large deflection of people that want to base their own morality or their own like everyone has a sliding scale and i i really just i don't like double standards um when i say that i mean like if i offered someone who's like if i gave someone a million dollars saying i want you in their climate activists and i'll say i want you million dollars um you're going to take it and i want you to say climate change isn't real and they they would either go no climate change most people would take the million dollars of course whether you're lying or not they're going to take the million dollars so let's say they take the million dollars they take the million dollars and they go i said it and then i and then they go but i was lying i actually don't mean that obviously climate change is real and you're like it doesn't matter i can't trust you because you lied to get something that you wanted and then if you, what are you going to do with it? Oh, I'm going to take the million dollars, and I lied for a good cause. What would you lie for the good cause? I'm going to donate this money to help with the climate change movement. It doesn't matter. You still lied, and I cannot trust you. You start questioning people's ideologies, and that's why people say money always talks. Money can always do something because they realized how flimsy people's ideologies could be. I mean if you can convince – marijuana for instance to become legal or everyone stop demonizing it so much well what's the price dollar amount that'll get you there there's also other things whether it's conversation whether it's something that changes somebody's perspective that'll get you there and like that's it's it's hard because everything's like that everybody wants to base their own more for me i'm just like look none of these people affect my everyday life but then there becomes a fear where when whether they have kids whether it's whatever is their kids going to be influenced and I'm like, well, we don't even pay attention to one of the biggest factors in our society that's the most horrible thing, the amount of usage of plastics that we have as well too, not only from a eco standpoint but just looking at what they're doing to our bodies. I mean the phthalates in plastic that have reduced our fertility count from 97% from my grandparents to 47% in my generation while it's so damn difficult to have kids in society, the amount of particles and dust, all this other types of stuff, micro dust that gets involved in our houses on an everyday scale, uh, consumption from gas and smoking spewed into people's faces and then breathing that in. I mean, there's so many things. And that's kind of what you go back to the beginning when we're talking about the list of things that people do and then kind of the causation to those. Everything has risks, every single decision that you make. And I just wish like, I mean, you could even chalk this up to people using, um, what are those people? Oh, God, I'm going to blank on it. It was in the movie Men Who Stare at Goats. Uh, no, no, that was used in that movie. But now um, there is a – what is it? Uh, it's where they're – Obama used it to help find Osama bin Laden, even though it probably didn't work, but it, they still used it. It was uh, 
more of the astrology type stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Remote viewing, remote viewing, remote viewing. If you could have someone like when you're chalking up the, you, did you know Obama used that to help find Osama bin Laden? It's listed on there. You can find it. It's really interesting. I don't There's, doubt that for a second, but that I'm shaking my head because like that, of course he did. <laughs> well, remote viewing is just like, if I told you to on a map, you know, see in your mind or get a visual feeling or something to be able to plot where we would find between these coordinates where do you think he would be hiding and then you give me like a large scale like well you could find him between delaware and california it's like fucking thanks man like that gives us a good break but that's what you know remote viewing is and i mean honestly i, I would probably say some people probably could get a good sense of some things just like you can sense out a person's like energy level like you know if you could tell if a person's moody or if a person's because usually most of the time you know the person but you get like that feeling like something all right you know are you okay man like that type of deal um but that's been throughout our society there's been like remote viewing there's been like a lot of religious aspects bringing it back to the religion thing again and i just go everything has an inherent risk i want to see the person that has like a remote viewer beside them when they're making like the prohibition and they're doing those types of things what are the damages that are going to be coming like would you still make those decisions but you can't think a thousand steps ahead you don't know that when you ban one thing it's going to mess up everything else your whole economic structure as well too i mean you could talk about prohibition or the banning of alcohol around the time of the Great Depression when that would have been like the best thing for a lot of people, but also could have been the worst thing as well, too. Yeah, it'll forget that you're in the Depression, but at the same time, I mean, where's your money going? Is it going for food? Probably not. It's going towards whiskey. It's going towards moonshine. I mean, that's a really dark thing, but it's also something that they found they can make a profit off of. And it's like everything has inherent risk. What, what Would you be able to predict the risk? If it did happen, you know, it's a lot of pressure that gets put on people to make the best decisions. And I swear to God, I mean, the slim chance that it goes correctly is a good thing. And we see it as a great decision made by that leader. I go, well, it's also a stroke of luck. It could have went in the complete opposite direction, much like our everyday lives. Yet a good day today could be a bad day tomorrow. Could have went a bad day today. There's always that like how we how we view it. And it's best not to set the bar extremely high like we do. Yeah. And. So there's a great book called The Politics of Sin, um, and it talks about morality and morality's influence um, on on the government and legislation and all that stuff. And uh, and specifically uh, talks about uh, you know uh, controlled substances, drugs, and and alcohol, and and where all that came in. And uh, a lot of people stand on you know we were a nation founded on on moral principles and we've got to be this nation that stands on moral principles. Um, but are we, uh, and, and if we, and what, what principles are we standing on and what do those principles really do for us? Because, um, you know, they, they, all they do is they become a tool. And so you bring it back to that religion, right? We can, you know, alcohol is looked at as, as a, as a substance that is bad, right. In most religious circles, um, except for the Catholics, they get it right. You know, they're, they're drinking, you know, the blood of Christ all the time and having a good time. So, uh, but like, uh, sorry, I don't mean to offend any of your Catholic population or, or have you looked into confessions before? <laughs> I, uh, meaning what? That was one of the worst things that they did. Like, I'm going to put you in a fucking box where people tell you their most nastiest shit ever. Like I fucked this girl last night and this girl, I, she put a trooper helmet on my head and lit a firework in my, and the priest is like, tell me more. 
<laughs> it's not their fault, but right. they did a thing where they started realizing back when they banned it so pastures couldn't have like sex unless it was for recreational purposes. Is these these young pa- I don't know if it was the pasture or if it was like the young priest, but what happened was is that they realized a lot of these people were very attractive. Like usually every time you see a priest in a movie or a pastor in a movie, they're like young, they're a family man, but they're really good looking most of the time. Like young Brad Pitt's like, where the hell do you go to church at? You know, that type of deal. Um, and it was because there was a large amount in the beginning of like this overall sexual stuff that was going on between a lot of these things, between these young pastors and women. And it's not like it's crazy. I mean, you have a lot of people that are believing in the recreation aspects of things too, but you also have instinctual things about your you know, body and your person. I mean, that's why there's a joke out there where if you really love a girl, just masturbate and then see if you still feel the same way. Because most of the time you're probably just pent up or something like that. And that's a Joe Rogan joke, uh, dirty one. But <laughs> there's a lot of stuff out there where it's like there's scientific evidence to prove that obviously there's hormonal functions that start to happen and these types of things. And that was the thing about when they banned this whole, you have to be, you know, only sex for recreation purposes when they had all these like young pastors and all these types of things. Now you're putting them in a box to hear people's darkest secrets and all these things like that. I'm like, no way it doesn't go bad. Like there's a, you're, you're, you're now setting yourself up for failure. Are you surprised? And that's what the consequence was. The consequence was okay. Or the benefit was you don't have your pastors and priests, you know, having uh, sexual relations with some of the clients or some of the people that go to your church. But now the bad side of it, you might have certain instances with young boys, or you might have some certain instances where you're having people have really dark shaped lives now where they're either heavy drinkers there. And that's, you can point any other examples in society. I just happened to pick the really religious one, <laughs> but there's plenty of other examples out there of like, okay, well they were kind of set up for failure. Like what's the chain reaction that led to this possible outcome. And that's, you can do that with anything. It's kind of what, I wouldn't say an investigation, but that's just kind of plotting the course of things. You know, why did this start? And then what happened after? Well, that was because of what the start was. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, if, if we were talking about, you know, uh, controlled substances and and booze but i mean you you go to the 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 subject of of sex in america right and back in that same time frame you know uh naughty pictures right there was this proposed like like you didn't you didn't look at at naked women you didn't you know what i mean like there were still things that happened in dark places right human nature has always been a thing and and you can that that again historically back long before long before uh america was even you know a twinkle in some pilgrim's eye right uh long before then right the sex is another one of those things where you know it's uh <laughs> it, it has it walks that fine line between something that we celebrate and something that is morally repugnant and 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 dependent upon the person and the group, you know, it how it flexes both and and watching the government be okay with both. How do they support both? You know, because they need they need the the Bible Belt uh, and the voters from the Bible Belt and the Bible Belt's money. So they got to play this game here, but they also need the other folks the 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 sexual awakening that you know uh, society is is experiencing or has experienced throughout its time. Uh, you know, they need those people too. So when we look at, at at politics, religion, and and morality, and all that stuff, and the, the morality part of it, where did it all come from? And it's all it's all man made construct, really. It it is because and and uh, for for those of your listeners that may not know, um, I am the son of a of a lifelong uh, pastor. My dad has been in the church 
uh, and a leader of the church since I was six. Um, I'm now 42 and he's still doing his thing. Uh, so, so, uh, my, my experience growing up in that environment and all that, you know, um, and, and being privy to, you know, uh, what my dad was teaching. Right. And what I was, I, what I was experiencing and seeing what, you know, individually, uh, the, the two didn't match up. Right. Um, some of some of the most evil people on this planet that I have personally experiences were experienced were inside of a church. You know, some of the most awful, disgusting, terrible human beings that walk this planet. I met inside of a church building. Um, and so it, it in in for me. Right. Um, so so there's a disconnect. Right. These these constructs, we read the Bible and then we take those chunks, you know, we take a, a literal sense and we uh, put it into application. Thou shall not. Now this is bad. This thing is bad. Right. Um, and then we, we, I say we, but not, not me. Um, you know, religion takes that and they, they make it this thing. It's not anybody that operates inside of that, that thou shall not is, is cast away and evil and awful. And that's literally the opposite of what Jesus like, like oh, he Jesus was like, bring them all, let's go. He hung out with hookers and freaking tax collectors, and tax collectors back in the day were some of the most vile people uh, around, you know. Um, and and they became his circle. He didn't turn anybody away. He loved everybody. Now, did he disagree with their lifestyle and say, hey, you need to change your shit? Um, yes, but that didn't stop him from sitting at a table and having a meal and a drink and a good conversation with them. Right. So now we we look at people with uh, a very uh, a variance in in morality and a variance in beliefs and they become bad right tribalism freaking all this crazy shit right um but the religious structure it you know it was all it's all it's all man made it's all it's all individually created and then it becomes this this platform in which we base a lot of our own our own values off of you know if if you look at like you growing up and your development as you know into into Robbie the adult, right? What morals were in place by your parents, you know, that helped construct that? How did you how did you determine what is right and wrong? And what I think one of the coolest things is if you know for me and for you and probably for everybody is if you look at your belief structure as a kid, what did you what was right and wrong to you as as growing up, and then look at it right now. What has changed? What what of that value system, you know, now that you have left your parents' home, you have been able to, to read, write, and discover all of the things on your own, what of that value system has changed? And then if and when you have children, right, you imprint your value systems now as an adult, which were constructed by your value systems imprinted by you as a kid, right? Um, so, so... But but again, where did that value system, where did right and wrong come from? Is it based in in some sort of religion? Is it based in philosophy? And you go back and you you're a great uh, a source of of philosophy. I remember from from all of our talks, you know, uh, looking back at how right and wrong was created and developed and and where it all came from. Um, it how do you determine that? And and anyway, how how does that all make us who we are? Where does that come from? Where does where does morality come from? And and if we're structuring laws and control and a system of government on morality, 
whose platform of morality are we using? Well, I'm, I'm just curious if you're rebelled or not. Um, if I was, if you rebelled or not, I mean, you come oh, from fuck, yeah. most people that come from a religious household usually typically. I mean, it's the same thing about Catholic schoolgirls. Like, there's songs plenty about Catholic schoolgirls. I'm like, you can't just there's there's moral ideologies that fall in with religion, and there's kind of one that's out there. And I've talked to plenty of ex cult people, and they consider some religions to be a cult, not just Scientology, but other very. I think Scientology is just the one that's openly rejected by society, and nobody talks about how normalized that is. I mean, they they have some bad models i would say but also a lot of their stuff can be seen as like a way to make people laugh so you never look into what they're actually doing i mean they have an idea out there that if you have depression then you're in a bad body and you should just kill yourself and they also do not believe in psychiatry and i think psychiatry is pretty well recorded throughout history but um with religion the repression aspect of things and i i consider religion i think it's important i think you need it i don't think it's for everybody obviously i'm not religious um but it doesn't necessarily make people good. What it does is it just applies scaffolding to an already structure. A lot of people need structure. A lot of people need communities. A lot of people need orders. A lot of people need to be a worker in a strict system. A lot of people need rules. That's why we have laws. To me, it's interesting to see the sliding scale, just like we talk about like the moral values, what's people's moral lines. What do people consider laws that are useful and what do people consider laws that are unsuccessful? Um, some people would even say speed limits are not really good laws. Um, I can drive. Why the fuck do I have to worry about monitoring my speed because someone else out there doesn't know how to? You know, like there's there's plenty of things that start to become very, very sensitive in society. That's interesting, but also not only the religious aspect, but the people's moral values get stuck in with a certain political side that best fits their moral values. You know what I mean? I would be more independent. Honestly, I th I'd believe deep state. So fucking all of that just gets tossed out the window. And I, I got plenty of evidence to support a uh, military industrial complex idea with a relationship tied to business um, capitalism. Um, but plenty of people see like my political side fits my viewpoint. I mean, it gets into the topics like abortion. It gets into topics like so much like what's your sliding scale? What do you think is enough? Some people are anti any abortion on any weeks, any of that. Some people, their lines up to eight or nine months. And you're like, Jesus, like, even that's my breaking point. I'm like, fuck, what are we talking about eight or nine months? But there's plenty of topics like that in our society that are giant controversial issues where it just boils down to the really main point. Why do you care what someone else is doing? Because you don't like it. And we are really good in our society at getting rid of things we do not like. And that's kind of like one of the biggest issues with, um, Sex, selling sex. Let's bring it back to that. That has gone from hell no, that is not happening over here to becoming a top magazine for selling sex to now becoming movies you can buy just about sex to now becoming something where uh, we could talk about child's posters and bedrooms. So I had a Jessica Simpson poster back from Dukes of Hazard days. Yes. You know? So it got me through some tough nights, sure. Um, <laughs> But there's there's a large amount of that that has done a complete reversal, and it's because of the way that it slowly became ingrained in our culture from other cultures. Much as model America models for wants to be the model of the world, and in my opinion, we should take a seat on the fucking bench for a little bit. Um, there's plenty of other influences of cultures. Australia has open brothels. 
uh, during a time in Britain, there were brothels that were open. Now in America, I mean, we don't have brothels now, but we made strip clubs very normal. We made a bunch of things where, yeah, you can't do anything with it, but you can get some time. And I'm sure those sliding scales move depending on different locations. But movies, for instance, you know, you have to – in the old production days, and the reason why we even have sex on the screen is because of French films. That's the influence of French films, of showing nipples for the first time, showing these types of things. There used to be a production code where you guys can kiss and lay on top of each other, but a foot has to be on the floor. And when you guys are about to get to the deed, we cut to the window and it'll show rain or it'll show a fireplace or it'll show a train going through a tunnel. And that'll be let the public know that you obviously have sex. You know, people found ways to manipulate the censorship and find ways to break through that. And then that has led to, I mean, you could say the downfall of humanity um, when it comes to the film industry showing sex, but times change. You know, we become more normalized. I don't think there's not a movie out now that doesn't have a car exploding or some type of explosion. And before you never showed that on screen, you know, we were more bundled up, um, but what? we changed. Only fans. Yeah, Look at OnlyFans. Like, I mean, now, now you've got everybody like just doing their thing on there and, and good on them. Like, you know, um, uh, but, and again, uh, I, I keep the economics keeps just bouncing around in my brain. You know, um, we, we found ways to get around it, but once we found ways to get around it, once we, once we, once we navigated the course around, let's say sex and film, right. Right. Okay, cool. Well, sex and film is now coming. It's going to be something that we have to allow let's, let's make some money off of it. Right. Let's, let's get, let's get into it. Right. And, and again, the, the entrepreneurship of, of the American person, right. Okay, cool. Let me go snap some pictures on my feet and throw them up on this thing. And people are going to pay me to do that. Right. And, and so, so, and, and we can tie that back to, um, you know, back to prohibition, back to a lot of different things. It's, it's the money, you know, let's let is, is, is money the, the key and, and, and how does money influence our morality? You you said you know there's there's been a it's it's slowly been accepted over time, um, because we allow more of it to be exposed to us, right? We and I, when I say we, I'm not talking about like you and me, like like as a society, we allow more exposure, you know. So sex scenes now become something that's normalized, right? We're watching TV on you know a cable network and it is not uncommon to have a full-blown you know what would be considered pornography 20 years ago right a full-blown lovemaking scene um with complete nudity on cable tv it's not network tv just yet but that might be coming as well so you know, and and what does that do? Well, that drives funding, right? If guys can see, you know, I, I think of Game of Thrones. You know, shit. If I can see dragons, war, and boobies, I'm in. Like, let's go. I'm I'm gonna buy that subscription to HBO Max and and you know and and get in. Right. I'm very careful with the example of Game of Thrones. A lot of that's brother fucking, and I don't like the brother stuff. Well, there's that too, right? So now it shows inclusion. It shows, you know, uh, it it can it can play into everybody, you know, and all of that stuff. Like, um. Uh, so, but, but with sex again, like, you know, how much of it is tied to, to economics, how much of it is tied to, uh, to making adjustments to our morality in order to support our financial gain. Have you noticed that money was the only thing that hasn't had a fragile history? Say more. Well, let's see money buying food, great depression. You wouldn't think money would be the prime example, but it buys you food. Food is what you wanted. So that's the end goal. Money has been a middleman throughout every single thing. 
It's and, and I've kind of started to notice this, like casinos, for instance. Um, this is going to be crazy. I don't know. Have you ever been to Vegas? Okay. Um, the original model to the MGM, I don't know if you've ever seen it, was a gold lion. Um, if you see it now, there's a gold lion that stands out in front of the MGM. Did you know originally it was the entrance? The entrance was a gold lion's mouth that you would walk through the mouth of a lion and go into the casino. Now, that sounds like, oh, that's interesting. That sounds cooler with the mouth, right? Well, they noticed that a bunch of their clientele happened to be people from China, these large billionaires that were funding a lot of Vegas um, through their gambling. And the people would not walk into the MGM because it was bad superstition to walk through the mouth of a lion when they're about to go win a bunch of money. So the casino was like, change that shit now. And they changed it. And then I started noticing like the influence of not only the legalization of gambling, um, the more understanding of gambling addiction, but also the superstition models that are still influenced in casinos and the models that they use are not based on American clientele, but foreign business adversaries, people from Saudi Arabia, people that have billions of dollars. They, We don't think of it because it just seems normal and it just seems like we don't really pay attention to those details, but the things that actually we do not value in detail are what other countries value extremely in detail. And that is like a lot of Vegas is set up for the style and luxuries and the easy principles of Chinese gamblers because that is a lot of their clientele that spend some of the most money. Now, it might not be the majority of people that show up there, but they're the ones that structurally they get a lot of money from. And that's the clientele that they really try and profit off of. They care about you a little bit, but not as much as like if you're talking about McDonald's, are they going to be – aimed towards a crossfitter or are they going to be aimed towards a person that might take up two seats on an airplane you know they're going to be aimed at the one that's going to be their most clientele and that is going to be the people that go to them the most and that's going to be people that spend the most amount of money and that happens to be chinese billionaires to me that's just interesting because that's like a thing about society i've been to vegas multiple times and i'm like oh my god i never even realized that but then you kind of dig it down a little bit deeper you look at the mafia aspect of things mafia ran clubs um Frank Sinatra, for instance, you know, there were a bunch of and I this I just talked about this not so long ago, so it's kind of fresh in my head. But when they sold the sales pitch of Hollywood, going to Hollywood as a young actress or actor, and you realize that the Hollywood lifestyle that was shown on the TV was not the one that was real. There was a lot of issues with labeling people as communists. There was a lot of issues of people. Uh, Dark Dahlia was a good example. The uh, lady that was killed, she never became an actress, but she got ended up working at a club, and the club happened to be owned by the mob, and the mob influenced not only movies as well too as much as the FBI did. They also you know, were able to be like, hey, we can get you into Hollywood if you sing in our club maybe once or twice a night, and then eventually they start getting stuck in that lifestyle like a person in a dead-end job. And then they realize their dreams are never coming true, and then they get angry or they get upset. They get tied into the wrong things, and then their body – I mean her body was mutilated. She was found murdered in a park, and that became a whole slew of issues that started happening where we have a stereotype today about like mothers being worried about their kids either being in a doctor's office alone or you know some – because we have these scandals that happen throughout history, and it goes back to the beginning about – not only interconnectedness, but also the protecting the relationship aspects. Have you ever heard of Janine Jones? She was a nurse at a night school that killed up to – I think she's still in prison. I had a guy on my show recently talk about it, but she killed up – they estimate 60-something babies. She started like 
yeah, doing, and that's like the stereotypical model of like nurses and the childs and, you know, like psycho killer nurses, serial killer nurses. Well, she also like, she got arrested, I think in not the sixties, but the, might've been the eighties uh, for, but did you know the hospital covered it up? Did you know the hospital? If you look up, look it up right now, if you Google it and her name comes up, it says that the hospital destroyed some of her records on a lot of the people that died under her care because they didn't want to, they wanted to reduce the amount of further scandal. The hospital told the other nurses that suspected her of killing people not to say anything, threatened other nurses of losing their jobs. And she ended up being transferred to another hospital. She was never caught at the first one where she, I think, murdered up to 14 kids, um, had these horrible things that happened to them. She was caught at the second hospital when the second hospital had an investigation that went through it. And the records were destroyed by the hospitals to reduce further scandal. So then it goes back to reducing the image or perception. And it's not only in our government. It's in other businesses as well, too. People try their best to make scandals go away. You know, and that's a real thing that happened. It sounds like a conspiracy, but then you just start looking at like, how do you view yourself in the eyes of the public? How much do we rely on the view of the people's perception of us? Celebrities, their image is everything. Musicians, their image is everything. Being labeled a communist was the worst possible thing that could have happened to you because it destroyed your fucking public image. Being labeled a pedophile destroys your whole public image. There's just words that we say, and we don't realize the power that gets put into words. Being called a racist destroys your public image. Being called a conspiracy theorist has been destroying people's public image. It's very, very difficult because those lines of what are we labeling without further investigation get blurred, and people hear the words, and they get triggered and realize they don't have to associate with this person because now it's going to drag down your career if you talk to them or associate with them, and those are some of the biggest dangers ever. So there's like a, this large amount of that throughout society. You call someone a Rockefeller person or call someone a big business type or an oil tycoon. We don't label them with the same demonization, and you can bet that there's definitely a sliding scale or a certain skewed way of influence that happened to make sure it was like that. You know, there's very few things in our society that are we know are stereotypical. Big pharma, for instance, yet we still have people that are ODing on opioids every single year. I think between the ages of 39 and 17, there was a, almost 100,000 deaths uh, that the news never even talked about. And then recently, I think they did an article about it, but they just blamed Walmart. And I was like, Walmart does not make the fucking drugs. They might distribute them, but that's your guy's problem uh, deeper into pharmaceutical. But that's a large thing in our society. The medical industry has bunches of cover-ups, injecting live cancer cells into an Ohio penitentiary, experimenting on prisoners. Now, you'll nod your head to that and accept that because we know there's a large track record in history of abusing prisoners and mental patients of that sort. But it's just people, man. It's people that have, haven't been had a voice. I mean, look at the history of insanity, people that were be getting lobotomies for either bipolar, ADHD, locked in insane asylums because they were a woman that was upset or crazy. Now, those are all largely accepted because there's a track record history to show that. And you start realizing it could be anybody, just like the Salem witch trials and calling somebody a witch. If I called you a witch right now, if I called you a racist right now, people would be reactive as such on social media. Uh, trial by media is a good example, but without any further investigation, and that's like one of the most dangerous things without talking. Talking brings out something about people where you start to decipher who someone is if they're truly a bad person. And I can tell you throughout the length of my show, I've only met one person that I think was not necessarily evil, but 
was definitely like first anti-Semite I've ever met in my entire life. And I'm, I'm Ashkenazi. So it's like, what, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? But, you know, I think he was just largely receiving his information through a very one-sided source and he didn't kind of expand out a little bit deeper. I don't necessarily think it's, um, there's a recent conversation I had where someone was telling me about the Israeli government and I had to stop him and say, this is an anti-Semitism, is it? And he goes, you have to draw that line very carefully because if you criticize the Israel government or something like that, people will call you an anti-Semite. That's not what that is. When you question the CCP, do people call you a racist? No, because you know the CCP is horrible. And that's like, okay, so you're talking about the government. Yes, the government. Doesn't mean you're talking about the whole, but that's our our brains make weird connections with things where as soon as you hear the word racist, you immediately think of a certain ethnicity or you think of something like that and you you immediately demonize. And that's a that's a very bad thing about us as people. But I mean it's hard not to do that because advertising, marketing, uh, the way that we receive information is now through bits and pieces where it's very hard to decipher the truth or very hard to get the full picture and scope of things. We just get triggered at very it's like gaslighting. I mean, call someone a gaslighter. You'll watch how fucking hard they'll light up, man, because that's a very triggering word for people. It's like calling somebody an anorexic. Nobody's going to listen to and no doctor is going to listen to a single thing you say if you're called an anorexic, because one of the things for anorexia is lying to deflect from yourself and trying to convince people when you could be in real danger. But also, who the fuck is like, I can call someone who's fat an anorexic. And then what do you do then? Like you're kind of screwed. Right. Yeah, <clears throat> the I rancid. I'm sorry. You know, no. I, 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 welcome to out of the blank, right? Um, <laughs> so, there, I mean, there, there's a lot there, right? You, you just, you just dumped a, a whole lot. So I, I don't know if I can address all of it, but um, when we, and I, I think you and I have talked about this before, both on the air and off. You know, when we take away the ability to have an open conversation because words are scary. We're fucked. And we, we can't say certain things. Well, when we can't say certain things that prevents us from having conversations and the difference between being uncomfortable in a conversation and a conversation that's dangerous have become, that line has become very blurred. We are not okay with being in an uncomfortable conversation anymore. And that's wrong. Um, echo chambers are comfortable when we, when we sit around with people who are saying the same things that we are and, and saying the same and have the same ideals and principles, we're comfortable. And, uh, but, but where we learn is in discomfort and we step out into that area that is unknown to us. And, 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 but that that's dangerous now that that's become something that is, that, that can cause us harm because, uh, when I step out and I say a word that that triggers somebody or makes somebody uncomfortable, they can literally go and say a million things. And then their echo chamber people, the people in their tribe, right, are just going to repeat what that person said. And now all of a sudden, like you said, you know, uh, you say, you know, uh, race, right? I'm a racist, right? Uh, somebody calls me a racist. And within, you know, two weeks, boom, there it is. Ian McGlynn is a racist. I, I'm not. Right. Um, but but that, that kind of power and, and you saw that in recently uh, throughout Hollywood, you know, I, I think of Kevin Hart, he sent out a tweet freaking 10 years ago. That said something questionable and got freaking blacklisted for years. Got pulled off the Academy Awards, like, you know what I mean? And um, and, and he got labeled as as something. 
Uh, and whether it's it's homophobic or, or racist or or whatever the the thing is, um, but but we can't get past that unless we sit down with somebody. And we again we we've become so tribal that hearing somebody and and that somebody could be coming to apologize, saying, "Hey, I used a term that was insensitive and incorrect, and I want to apologize." Nobody's going to hear that. They're, they're just, they're content to be mad and they're content to burn that person. At the, you know, and you and I have talked cancel culture a long time. Um, but like, you know, it, when we lose the ability to have a discussion with people, we're fucked. That woke movement had a bit of a pushback recently with Robert Irwin. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but they, Robert Irwin dressed up as Dwight from the office for Halloween. And this is when Dahmer was trending and people thought he dressed up as Dahmer. And like, how do you dress up as Jeffrey Dahmer? And they started lighting him up. Like a bunch of people started lighting him up. And then a bunch of people started commenting. Have you read the caption to his post where it says Dunder Mifflin company? Like it's, he's the guy from the office. He's sitting on a printer. It's not him being Jeffrey Dahmer. And they just went silent. And it was kind of like this pushback, but it was, there's a call for outrage. And the issue is it doesn't get held to the people or corporations that are responsible for outrage um it's and it's funny the people that profit off of outrage are the corporations i think they just had who is that guy who always held the oscars or the the golden globes or something he was very ricky gervais ricky gervais um, Hell yeah. <laughs> the, the one year they didn't have him, they had a woke guy on there and everyone was so upset they wanted ricky gervais back i was like because ricky gervais calls people on their shit he talks about like the number of people there that are receiving an award or the people that flew on Jeffrey Epstein's plane um, before he meet his untimely demise. And everyone's like, oh, all the celebrities are like fucking like, what did he just say? And he was like, oh, he's like, he's your friend. He was your friend. He's pointing at all of them. That's funny. And it's like, yes, there's things that we don't acknowledge because we either admire the person so much and we don't want to think that they could ever do wrong or they're a voice that are saying the same things that we're saying. And then eventually those people will turn. It's like there's always this battle and demonizing in our own culture, which is the smartest strategy if you're like a deep state that's trying to fucking get people not to call you out on your own shit. Disney, all these other places that change their profile picture to an LGBTQ flag do not give a fuck about that movement. They only care about wanting you to buy their shit. It's a corporation, but I don't know if anybody really believes that they are, you know, in a stance for a lot of those things either. But I don't know. It's just a way to capture on society. It's marketing. It's like the best fucking strategy out there. It's one of the most destructive ones, you know, like nobody questions the number of pharmaceutical uh, advertisements that we get. We're one of two countries that uh, do pharmaceutical advertising, and that is New Zealand and us. And nobody questions that shit. And it's like, I mean, no wonder we have a huge opioid overdose. I mean, shoved in our faces, either a beard medication, an anti-anxiety medication, a digestive medication, something of that sort. Well, why do we have all these problems? Is it something that we might be doing that has been long in our business strategy? I don't know. You know, bottles, we used to do glass bottles. We switched to plastics. You know, we did that for saving money. We did that for various purposes. And now it might have been better just to stick with glass bottles. You know, cutting corners and business strategies is not only damaging to profits, it's damaging to other people's lives. You know, that's a big risk. McDonald's did not mean to make people fat. You know, they weren't thinking about doing that. They were thinking about how am I going to supply food for my family, money for my family, make my life better. And that's been the American dream. You realize the American dream is fit to a model of making your life better, not fit for the model that people want, which is making everyone's lives better. 
So that's like one thing you have to talk about. And it's not demonizing America. It's just talking about it was a way to for you to be successful. And sometimes those ways to be successful aren't necessarily in the best interest of other people. It's, it's like except if I told you you can be a rich billionaire right now and at the cost of you're probably going to ruin a bunch of people's lives, you might say no. You might say yes. And the yes is probably going to be more appealing because you don't know who I'm talking about. I could be saying people in another country or people that are your neighbors. The big question, do I know the people whose lives I'm going to disrupt? No? Okay, cool. I don't care about them. You know, and that's, again, that, that's, whoever makes your it, fucking iPhone is, is yeah, be exactly. Better. Like, you know, Hey, cool. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, you yeah, know, yeah. If I, if I got the chance to, you know, well, there's that, the, the, ah, I forget the movie about the, the box that has the button, right? If you press this button, somebody's going to die, but you'll be a millionaire. What's in you the know? box. Yeah. <laughs> Different movie, but still equally as uh, intriguing, but, um, but you know, uh, do we know the person that we're hurting? And if the answer is no, then well, fuck. I'm good. Right. That's, that's how it seems that how it, you know, the, the connection to society where, you know, I, I don't look to see the third, fourth, fifth orders of effect of the decision I'm making, you know, how is this going to affect not, you know, but it, what does this do for me? Yeah. I mean, does this make me better? Does this make me easier, more comfortable with all these other things, but what does it do to other people? You know? Um, and once we start looking at what does it do to other people, you know, do we make the same decision, but then tailor our actions after the decision? Right. Um, or do we just, do we just change how we, you know, the decision that we make? And, and that's a lot. I mean, that's, we're getting into some, some really weird, heavy shit right now. It's kind of fun, but, uh, but yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, man. Um, I hate philosophers. But let's the let's tie this back into morality. Yeah. What are you doing when nobody's looking? Is it different than what you're doing when you're walking out on the street in public? Right? What do you do and when your door is closed? It, exactly. Exactly. And that was, you know, let's tie that back to the church. You are the best representative of the church on Sunday mornings, but Monday through Saturday, you are an evil human being. I wish people would I, – I swear the people that are hypocrites saying like, oh, masturbation is bad. I'm like, what the fuck you – what are you doing, huh? What are you doing? What are you doing? You know you they do it. Like like banning sex was like, you know you do it. Like why the hell are we not talking about it? Like everyone does it. It's just normalize the hell out of it. You start realizing that like I have a digestive issue. Once I start realizing like how openly I like – it's normal to me, how like far I'll go talking about things of this sort. And then I realize that people have their own digestive issues, and they'll talk about things as well too. Like I had one dude – uh come to my gym and i was like yeah it's you got done at 6 a.m i was like what are you gonna do with the rest of your day you got your whole day ahead of you. he's like i'm gonna start drinking some margaritas and like did this like shake out the back door and i'm like that person's life that's so normal to them smoking a pack of cigarettes to some people is so normal to them in one day and that's for not everybody's life so if you can understand that then stop you know trying to change everybody i'm not gonna sit here and tell people to stop changing everybody's life i'm sure this podcast is probably hurting somebody out there right now but if a podcast offends you or gets you upset or hurts you you need to fucking look at your life i'm sorry or just go listen to any one of the other three million podcasts that are out there don't skew my viewership how dare you <laughs> no, but it's true. You can you can go listen to anything. I'm not trying to fight for anybody's affection here. I just thought it'd be cool to record conversations because they always turn out a little bit strange. Um, sometimes good, and I like it. Um, Ian, where can people find your podcast? I enjoyed listening to it. Now that it's back, uh, you got th three episodes, four episodes. I don't count the pilot as an episode. 
Oh, why whiskey? I've got uh, shit. I don't know. I think I'm. Uh, I don't. I, I don't count, and I don't number my episodes either. So uh, I've been going at it since uh, November of 2019. I took the last year or so off because my life has been uh, a bit of a challenge. Um, but um, uh, since my relaunch on November 1st, I think I've got like five or six episodes out. Uh, so every other Friday. Uh, you can catch me on any one of your podcast platforms. I'm everywhere. You can find me on Twitter uh, at WhiskeyY and on Instagram as the Y Whiskey Podcast. I'm pretty active on both and uh, and will respond to all of the things that you send to me. All right. Well, I'm going to link it all in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting with you again. And thanks for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode.